going to read John 15, starting at verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Amen. So good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Jay, if I have not met you, and those of you joining us online as well. So as we begin this brand new year, I want to invite you as one of the pastors here to join me along with many, many others to read through the Bible in one year. We have a very simple daily reading plan as well as something that you download on app. And, you know, as we say this every year, the goal of reading through the Bible in one year is not to just get through the Bible, but for the Bible to get through us. Because we want the Word of God to, to seep into our hearts and mind. So, so it's not too late. I know today is day 15. If you missed it, that's okay. Start slow and join us for Bible reading. So when you read through the Bible, you begin to realize that Bible is full of stories of people on a journey. So you see people like Abraham, and he's on his journey to leaving everything behind from his house to go to the promised land. And you have someone like Moses leaving Egypt to go back home. And the Apostle Paul going from one missionary journey to another journey. And on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I think about uh, the courageous leadership and the journey that Dr. King went on to fight racism and to, to lift up uh, biblical racial reconciliation. Did you know that um, he traveled over 6 million miles between 1957 and 1968 to be a prophetic voice for our nation and for the next generation? And I'm so grateful for his courageous leadership and how he abide in, in the Lord. So this just journey toward the mission of God is called discipleship. And the centerpiece, of course, the centerpiece of all journeys in the Bible is a journey of Jesus going from heaven to earth. He took a journey from heaven to earth, and, and from Bethlehem to Nazareth, he was on his journey. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he, he sets his eyes on the cross, and he dies for us, and he's raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and, be, and because there's one more thing that he wanted to share with his disciples and us, he actually comes back down, and, and he says what we now know as the Great Commission, right, which says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And, and if you were here last week, 
we learn that the Great Commission is not a command. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not a suggestion or a recommendation or a general encouragement, but it is actually a command by Jesus to us. Because you see, Jesus not only gave us a message, but he gave us a method. He taught us how to be a disciple and how to be a disciple maker. And one of the illustrations that Jesus uses, this analogy that we heard from John 15 15 on discipleship, is, is using the vine and the branches. Now, if you grew up in the church, you may have heard some teachings on the vine and the branches. There are four elements in John 15. You have the vine, you have the vine branches, you have the vine dresser, you have the fruit. The vine represents Jesus. We are the branches. The vine dresser sounds like a real hipster gardener, right? Vine dresser, that's God the Father. And the fruit represents godliness and also gospel multiplication of new people coming to faith in Jesus. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, came back from our trip to Israel, another fantastic trip. And people have asked me, Jay, as a pastor and as someone who studied the Bible, what was it like for you to go to, go to Israel and, and actually to go back again? And here's what I, I tell people. First of all, if you're a pastor, don't tell people that you're a pastor in Israel because people are going to ask you questions about the Bible and Jesus, and you realize how small, how, how little that you know about the Bible and Old Testament history. So don't tell people that you're a pastor. So first time around, it was like seeing everything through black and white lens. Everything kind of blends in. You know, one desert looks like the other desert. One building looks like the other building. You're drinking from the fire hose. You're not, it's so much information. It's overwhelming first time around. But second time around, man, I started seeing through the lens of color. I could see the details. I could see the, the smiles on people's faces. I could see the inscriptions in buildings. I could relax. I could actually relax and enjoy the smell and the sights and sounds. And I could even see different kinds of plants and vegetation, which I did not do last time. And which brings up this question. Why did Jesus use the analogy of a vine and the branches to talk about discipleship? Because in Israel, there's all kinds of vegetation, right? Jesus could have said, I am a pomegranate, or I'm a sycamore tree, or I'm a fig tree. They're plentiful along the coast of the Mediterranean uh, coast. But why vine? Because in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And and the reason is because what he's doing as he's sharing this to his disciples is he's reaching back to the history of the Old Testament and he's calling the minds of his disciples to remember their identity. Don't forget, they're Jewish people. And every Jewish person would have known that the vine represents Israel, the people of, of God. And Yahweh, God the Father, represents the, the gardener, the vine dresser. And what's interesting is that when you read the Old Testament, what you'll notice is that uh, vine and vineyard is not used in a positive way. Uh, In passages like Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 12, it actually points to the failure of the vine because the vine, Israel, did not fulfill its destiny. And Israel lived for their own glory. So, for example, Isaiah chapter uh, 5, verse 7 says this. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is a nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but what did he see? But he saw bloodshed. 
for righteousness, but he cried, but heard cries of distress. So when you read the Old Testament, you see this lament and people crying. People are crying because of the failure of the vine of Israel. So people, the prophets like Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah, which, which senses that there's this longing by the people of God where they're waiting and longing and watching for something brand new to come. And they're waiting for that seed of hope that would, that would blossom again. So this is the backdrop to Jesus in John 15 saying, hey, I am that vine. I am that true vine that you've been waiting for, and he is signaling this brand new age, brand new kingdom to come where he's going to restore all things again on a global scale. And Jesus says, I'm the one who's going to fulfill the destiny of the vine that you've been waiting for. And Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches, and you need to be connected to me. And this, this, this image of connection, connecting to Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. The word Jesus uses is the word abide. Abide. It's used 10 times in John chapter 15 and has just a beautiful range of definitions. And I would submit to you, if you could summarize the ministry of, of, of Jesus, his three years of public ministry with one word, it's this word, Abide. The word in Greek means to remain or to stay or to wait. In a relational context, it is used in, in, in the context of hospitality where you dwell, come in, enter into your house, feel secure, right? So to abide in Jesus means to have a permanent, constant, loving relationship with Jesus. And when I think of the word abide, I think of the illustration that Pastor Rich Viotas gave when he came to our church for our eco-national denominational gathering. He said there are two kinds of people when it comes to drinking a hot tea. First, you have a dipper, right? So dipper is someone who takes a tea bag and dips the, the tea bag into the hot water. They pull it out. Right, they dip it again, they pull it out, and they're trying to create this aroma and extract tea leaves and create this sensation just perfect for their liking. So you have a dipper. Then he said, you also have a soaker, right? Soaker is someone who just soaks the tea leaf for a certain minute and just wait for the tea bag to infuse all kinds of, all kinds of smell and, and taste and the aroma and it's brewing. There's transformation taking place and the water. And, and there, let me do this. Quick trivia question, all right? Um, raise your hand if you think dipping is the right way to extract the leaves and bring that good taste into a, into a hot tea. We, raise your hand, hot tea, good. Okay, we have some people. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you think soaking is the right way to get that, to get that water to taste so good, good. Raise your hand if you don't care because you're a coffee drinker, right? Okay, don't care about tea. doesn't work. So, so scientific research actually says the right way to do it is to soak it in because that's when all the goodness comes out and transforms its space. I use that illustration to say that abiding in Jesus is like soaking in much of Jesus in your life. You stay put. You remain. When life gets tough, you stay steady. Don't leave. You're not dipping in and out, but you're choosing to remain, and you're being transformed into his likeness. And let me tell you why this 
image of soaking and saturating is so important to our understanding of, of, of discipleship. Because you see, a discipleship is not a Christian thing. So when we hear the word discipleship, we think, okay, this is a Christian thing to do. No, discipleship is a human thing. As humans, we are constantly being shaped and formed by the things that are near us, our surroundings, like our environments, our relationships, the things that we watch on the screen, the things that we listen to on podcasts, the things that we're hearing as teachers are teaching at schools. So the question is not who is shaping us, rather, what are we being formed and shaped into? Because you, you may not even know what you're being shaped into, but believe me, when you wake up in the morning, you go about your day-to-day routine, you are being shaped and formed by things that are near us. So check this out. Uh, recently, I saw this list of things that are in our everyday life, and these are things that did not used to exist 20 years ago. You ready for this? Here's a list. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Gmail, Netflix, Google Maps, iPhone, Facebook, Android, Bitcoin, Tesla, iPad, Chrome, Zoom, Skype, Amazon Prime, Slack, Reddit, Etsy, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Spotify, Airbnb, and Uber. Now, these are not all bad things. These are actually helpful things. In order for me to get this list, I actually have to get my iPhone out and look at all my Twitter. It's all good. But though they are good, they have the ability to shape us in certain ways, right? And it could actually drown us and distract us from pursuing and following after God. So it's so important for us to make these small moment-by-moment decisions to, to abide in Jesus. Let me give you another example. In the last 10 years, there have been many books written on the psychology and the power of habits, Books like The Atomic Habits, The Power of Habit, Tiny Habits. And the main idea of all these books is that that we as human beings, we are the cumulative effect of our daily and weekly habits. So what we do on a regular basis is what we become. Another way to say this is that things we do do something to us. And these habits can turn into our loves. And here's how Jesus puts it. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, whatever you value in life, however you spend your time, how you spend your money, all those things reveal your loves and your longings and your priorities in life. So so how about for you and me? What's shaping you these days? What's forming your discipleship? Because the reality is that we, we live in a broken world. And because of sin, and sin is not just uh, rebelling against God. Sin is actually, sin will hurt others as well. We live in this broken world. And on humanity, the way we're designed, we, we kind of move toward uh, sinful habits. We're infected by sin. So we'll use hurtful words. We'll have lustful thoughts. We crave addictions in life. Things we do. Do something to us. So now the question is, okay, knowing that, how do, we, how do we counter these false loves that are around us that are constantly coming coming after us, right? How, how, do, how do we pursue after Jesus? So what I want to do next is share uh, one thing that we can do as disciples of Christ uh, to follow after God and one thing that God does to help us abide 
in Jesus. Are you ready for this? Ready? Okay, this first thing, our role. Our role is to practice. Our role is to practice. Let me explain this. To be an apprentice of Jesus, we need to have some structures and rhythms to our everyday life. So think for a moment this uh, trellis. You know what trellis is? It's a structure that gives shape and form to, uh, for a branch to grow. Like if you don't have a trellis, it's possible that for a branch to, to either overgrow or it will not produce fruit. So you, you need some kind of a structure. In a way, all of us need a life trellis. We need like, you know, when you go bowling, there are guardrails, those bumpers, right? We need, we need like life bumpers that kind of, you know, puts us in the right path when we're straying away from God. That's what trellis is. And, and, and the life trellis, spiritual trellis is called spiritual practices, or spiritual disciplines. I know you read books from Richard Foster or Dallas Willard on this concept. Here's how Richard Foster defines spiritual practices. Spiritual practices are exercises which equip us to live fully and freely in the present reality of God. And God works with us. Very important. God is the one who is working with us, giving us grace as we learn and grow. So there's this back and forth participation. God is working. We're also responding to God's grace. Here's Dallas Wheeler, how he defines it. A practice is an activity within our power, something that we can do, something we could train in. And he said, there is a world of difference between training versus trying. You know, this past year, my wife, Lisa, and she was actually training for the Dallas Half Marathon. I was so proud of her. She would get up in the morning. She would re- run a certain mile. And, you know, next week, she would run further miles. And she would be doing this for months. I was so, so proud of her. But I think like a few weeks before the actual date of the race, she injured herself, her lower back and her neck. And she could not train. And this went on. And you could see how she was contemplating. Gosh, I want to run the race. I've been training. I want to run the race. And literally two days before, she had to make a decision. She goes, Jay, I want to try. I really want to try and do this. And I know, I know as a husband, that's a, that's a, a question you don't want to really answer because <laughs> I could potentially set her up for failure. If I said, yeah, you should try. You can do it, right? Or if I said, no, you should not. And she may think that I'm not... You know, I don't believe in her. So anyhow, uh, we come to our senses. because um, She knew that this would be a setup for failure, and she, uh, she didn't run. She, someone asked me earlier this morning, did she finish the race? No, she, did, she didn't run the race. And it, so in, in many ways, in a church setting, as one of your pastors, uh, if I come to you and say, well, try harder to read the Bible, or try harder to pray, or try to come to church more regularly, no. It's not going to work because I'm setting you up for failure, right? Asking you to try and try and try. What we need are trellises. What we need are these guardrails, these bumpers to help us step by step to pursue after God. We need a game plan. We need a game plan. We need uh, uh, counter habits, right? We need counter habits to follow after God. So I'm going to give you a very simple practice that you can do immediately starting tomorrow regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, this is something that all of us, doesn't matter what age you are in, but you can actually do this step by step. And my, I don't want to say guarantee, I could guarantee, yeah, here's my guarantee. Your life, man, if you do this, watch. God will do something in your life. Very simple. Here's what you do. When you wake up in the morning tomorrow, 
the very first thing you do, the very first thought you have, the very first uh, speech or voice, the thing that you're going to say is Jesus, right? In the quietness, as you're waking up, you say, Jesus, Jesus. And what you're doing is you're inviting Jesus. You're inviting the Spirit of God to fill the space. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, come. Jesus. Jesus means God saves. We need to be rescued every day from all the false lies that are around us. Jesus, come. In fact, I wonder, in the voice of a whisper, we could all say Jesus all together and count of three. One, two, three. Jesus. That's right. Jesus. You're shifting the atmosphere of your space, your room. And you can do this while you're driving. You can do, if you want to go to the next level, you want to be a varsity Christian, add a, add a, add a, add a Bible verse, add a passage, and start, start, start meditating and reflecting and saying, Jesus, let me see you in this verse, right? Train, you could do this. You could train your mind and step by step do this. Try it. Try and see what happens, right? So that's our role. Let me tell you now about God's role in helping us to abide in him. God's role is to prune us. Again, I'm not a gardener, but I am learning that there is a huge difference between shearing versus pruning. Like shearing, I'm finding out, is something that anyone can do. You just, you just cut automatically, randomly. You're just cutting, you're just cutting, 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 right? But pruning actually takes practice, you do it selectively. You do it carefully. Think of that movie. Remember the Karate Kid? There was Mr. Miyagi, right? He would prune, he would prune a bonsai tree. Actually, I found that there is a, the next generation Karate Kid called Cobra Khan or Cobra something on Netflix. Yeah. So you don't have to watch it. It's okay. Selective. Our Heavenly Father is a divine gardener. And God prunes us because he loves us. And yes, pruning, cutting is painful. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, pruning is caring. When the branch that I love, if I'm just clinging on to it, I'm just holding on to it because I love my branch so much, oh, it's going to hurt when that thing gets cut. It's painful because what God is doing is he's exposing, he's exposing the misplaced hope in my life. That's the idol that I'm holding on to, and he wants to cut that out. And, and without pruning, we become this overgrown, thorny, wild bush, right? And, and God allows us to experience hardships and challenges and sufferings to, to prune us so that, we can, so that we can produce greater fruit, as verse 2 says. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. They may bear more fruit. And there's actually a way... Uh, you'll, you can know if you're being pruned or not. There's a way to know if, if you're in a season of pruning because, you know, sometimes we go through stuff in life and you just wonder, man, why am I going through this? Is this God's trying to speak to me or is it because of my own sin or is it because the people around me are bad or is it because Satan is trying to tend me and, and, and attack me or is it because this is part of God's big orchestration and sovereignty or is it just all of the above? How do you know? How do you know that God is pruning you to, to, so that you can abide in Jesus? There's actually um, uh, an indicator. Uh, one of the primary indicators for you to know, to know that if you're going through a season of pruning or not, is when you go through some kind of a loss in your life. A loss of finances, loss of relationships, a loss of health, 
loss of opportunities, right? Or loss of influence and position. Some kind of loss uh, in your life. And I know that some of you have experienced a deep loss recently, and it's hard because that's the only thing that we can think about when we go through a significant loss. And these seasons are so vulnerable. And the reason why it's so vulnerable, that's right, it's awful. The reason why it's so vulnerable is because, it's because that's the only thing that we can think of, right? And what happens is that we draw back from God and from the purposes of God. And we want to dip in and out from the purposes of God. We're going through the season of pruning, and we need to be so, we need to be so careful because the evil one, Satan, our adversary, they want to confuse us, and, and, and the Satan will whisper all kinds of lies into us, into our ears, and saying, look at what you've done. It's all your fault. You're not good enough. You should have listened to your parents. You should have listened to your friends. You should have never done that for the first time. Right? You failed again. And these are things that we hear, and Satan attempts to cut off our relationship with God, and the evil one wants you to interpret your season of pruning as the result of your failure and the, and, and the Lord's abandon, abandonment of you. But that's farther from the truth, right? You're not being pruned because you failed, but you're being pruned because God loves you and God wants to see a godliness in you. You see, pruning is an affirmation that you're connected to the vine. Pruning is actually a good thing. It shows that you're connected to the vine. And this special connection, this union with Jesus, is something that cannot be separated. Whatever you're going through in life, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are his. We belong to him. And God wants to use you. And, and the greatest pruning that the world has ever seen is in the life of Jesus. Jesus set his eyes to toward Jerusalem, went to the cross, endured sin, he died for us. God pruned Jesus so that our relationship with God would not be cut off. So I just want to encourage you as we enter into year 2023, abide in Jesus, remain in him, surrender your life to Jesus little by little, allow God's overloving flow to flow through you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for planting the seed of your joy in our hearts. Abide in us that we may abide in you and live in your love. And thank you that you always remain faithful to us. We know that we can depend on you. And we know that you are faithful to us. Once again, Lord, Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us today. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.